Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hosea chapter 8. We're going to read verses 11 through 14. We're finalizing chapter 8, and, and I will be citing from other portions of Hosea this morning just because some of the things we'll learn here are going to be expressed in other parts of Hosea as well. So again, Hosea chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, and here's what it says. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins, and they shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities, so I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to dive right into this text. Father, we thank you this morning for gathering us in worship, for gathering us together, and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for us, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon our hearts and it would bring transformation in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. We, we stand before you today, God, with the Word of God open, relying completely on your Spirit's work to lead us and guide us and illuminate us. In your name we thank you and we pray. Amen and amen. So far in Hosea chapter 8, we've learned... A few things that Israel does in this chapter, the first part uh, of this chapter that we were talking on, dealt with Israel looking for political allegiances elsewhere. And so we learned two weeks ago that Israel goes to Assyria, they're, they're looking for allegiances in all the wrong places, and in a sense, it's an abandoning of God for allegiances that God had not ordained or that God had not uh, in a sense, set forth or, or allowed. And then last week, we talked about Israel abandoning God in this chapter through idol worship and idols being made by Jeroboam. And we went back to, to First Kings and, and looking at various passages where, if you remember the preaching from last week, there's, there's two uh, golden calves placed in replacement of Israel going to give worship uh, in, in Judah, in the southern part of the kingdom. And so there is this replacing of God. And now we get into the third of these, which is the title of today is a syncretistic worship. It, it basically means the mixing of worships or the mixing of religions or the mixing of ideology. So to give you an example, we see this in Jeroboam's case. Jeroboam puts two golden calves, but then he cites scripture. These are the golden calves that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's synchronistic in that sense. It's, it's in a combination of here are some idols, but we'll add some Bible passages to it. And right here I'm referring to Exodus 20, where God says, I brought you out of the land 
of Egypt. So I mention this as an introduction because oftentimes we think that false worship or a mixing of worship is clear as day. Well, it's actually not. It's actually deceitful. Um, heresy is never clearly seen. The only way you can know heresy is if you know truth. The only way you can know that idol worship is wrong is if you know what true worship is. And so chapter 8 of Hosea, the final portions that we just read, it's a, it's a syncretistic worship. It's a mixing of religion. So I'll give you some examples. In the New Testament, there is what's called Gnosticism. John will deal with this, and for sure the, the, the early church fathers will. It, it was a, a combination of what it meant to be Christian or what Christ did on the cross, and then this Greek philosophy of dualism. Was God really fully human? Could God really be fully human? And so what the Gnostics did is they incorporated ideas of Christianity. Yeah, Jesus is the Savior and, and so on. But they added this element of he couldn't be man because anything material is wrong and fleshly and in a sense evil. And so they, they added dualism with Christianity and a result of that was Gnosticism. It was a combination. To give you a clearer example of our time, many of you have heard of the religion coexists. You see it in bumper stickers where you got all these religious symbols and the, and the word spells out coexist. It's a mixing of, well, we can be Buddhists and we can be Muslim and we can be Jews and we can be Christians. And at the end of the day, tolerance is tolerance. That's the loving thing to do. And all these religions lead to heaven, whatever your idea of heaven is. Now, philosophically, you know, I'm not going to give you an exposition on philosophical ideas, but that's just illogical uh, because all these religions have truth claims, and so they can't all be the truth. It, it's illogical, but I'm using it as an example to let you know that even in our society today, this idea of synchronized worship or a syncretistic ideology of worship exists. What's the big deal with just combining everything and People can worship as how they see fit. Well, that's exactly what happens here, and there's a problem. So, verse 11 of chapter 8, the ESV says, Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. Now, I'll get into the grammar here very quickly, but the, the, the literal translation here is not because, it's not a causal clause. Uh, uh, Hosea is transitioning to a, a third sin here in this portion. So the, the proper translation is better understood if, if, if we read it as, indeed, Ephraim. Without a doubt, Ephraim has done this. There's no, 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 no secret here. There's, there's no debate here. Ephraim has, has set up altars for sinning. Now, I need to explain this. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to atone for sin, God had established in Exodus and Leviticus and then Numbers and Deuteronomy explains this in more detail. But God had established a way where Israel can come before God and they would offer up a sacrifice to deal with the problem of sin. So in a sense, this is sort of a poetic uh, structure here, but, but it's, it's almost like, what? Like, like what's, what's going on? Because the idea is you make altars, because God had declared it in his word, to deal with sin. So altars are made to kill 
sin. But now notice what verse 11 says. They, they made altars or Ephraim multiplied altars for sinning or to deal with sin. And yet the altars have become for sinning. So instead of cleansing the sin or killing the sin, it has led people to sin. Now, as readers, we have to ask ourselves, well, well, what's the issue? I thought altars were made, were built. This is the purpose of an altar, to kill sin. So how can the thing that was made to kill sin be the thing that leads people into sin? Are you dealing with this? This is, this is not supposed to happen. It's an irony here, what's being said here. And yet, the grammar, I won't give you... Well, I have to in a sense. I'll give you the two Hebrew words and then I'll explain the difference. Shatat with the T is what you would normally use in Hebrew for the sin offering. This is the term that's used, yet in Hosea, the word is shatat, very similar. It's almost spelled similar. It's actually spelled similar, except here the ending is different. There is no T. Now, the, the word itself, sin, uh, the, the dealing of sin, and Hosea actually means to miss the mark. It means to miss. So I'm going to read it to you, given that translation, because Ephraim has multiplied altars that miss the mark. They have become altars that miss the mark. In other words, because the altar has been made wrongly, it can't atone for sin. It cannot deal with sin because it's wrong. It's an altar that misses the mark. Now the question is, why does it miss the mark? And the answer is because the altars that are being described here are not altars to Yahweh. They're not altars to God. See, what the Israelites did is they understood that altars are meant to destroy sin, yet... The altars that are being made here, and we learned this last week with even the two golden calves, but these are altars being made to idols, specifically Baal. So the, the theological concept of altars is right, but whom the worship is being directed to is wrong. It's to Baal. It's, 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 it's a wrong altar. The idea is right, but who it's being made for, the person that's being credited with atoning sin is Baal. And that's why instead of curing the sin or instead of killing the sin, the people, as they multiply altars, they multiply sin. You, you see the, the irony here. But this is what happens when you get a mixed worship. When we try to put God and something else as if we could be theological chefs. Well, this part of God works and this part of culture works, well, let's just mix it together and we've got Christianity. And, and this is what I want you to think about. Do we? If I grab cultural ideas and biblical ideas and mix them together, are we still talking about the same God? Are we still talking about the same scripture? And this is what I want you to have in mind because this is the application for today. Can I mix two truths and have them equal one solid truth? And, and the answer is no, but I, I want to show you it through Hosea why it's, it's, a, it's a blatant no, and this is what they try to do. So how does Israel do this in Hosea? Well, let's jump ahead to chapter 10. 
Why would Israel think that worshiping Baal works? Why didn't they see that this is not what they ought to do? Well, look at chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'll explain some things here. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit, very similar to when Jesus talks about the vine in, in John. But, but it, it yields fruit. Now look, look at this. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. And this is the calf we learned about last week. Um, it's people mourn for it and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Now, verses 5 to 6, let us know what happened to this golden calf. So Israel thought we could combine worship, we could worship Yahweh and use biblical language from Exodus and build altars for Baal, and go to these golden calves, and offer our worship, and everything's going to be fine. And verses 5 to 6 let us know that the end result of that is, Israel will be weeping. Why? Because imagine the thing that you're worshiping, and then not only seeing that your enemy conquered you, that's one thing, right? Your enemy conquered you, but another thing is to see your enemy grab your God, pack him up, put him in a suitcase, and drag them to their nation. In other words, the thing that you bet would protect you is the thing that is being carried off. The thing that you were told was going to be your security was the one that brought you out of Egypt, was the one that had delivered you from captivity. To see that idol being carried away, well, that's the mourning. That's the insult. That's the reason why Israel will weep. This is why a mixed worship doesn't work. Because at the end, what it'll leave us as is looking at our idol, at the thing that we thought could be mixed with God and being taken away, devoured, just like everything else will be. But again, why? This is the result. But why did Israel think that their altars worked? Well, verse 1 of chapter 10 lets us know the more its fruit increased. Now here, that just means prosperity. The more Israel became prosperous, the more they became wealthy, the more they became fruitful. What did they do? The more altars they built. Why? Well, Baal works. Oh man, this is working. I, I, I'm going to Baal and my stock has gone up. My, my, my land, I'm offering sacrifices and my land is giving fruit. This is why, again, I need you to understand the deceitfulness in this. See, see we think, well, if I follow the worldly system, surely that's not going to work. Well, there are some things that can be worldly and work that are still not biblical. 
I can go to work, to give you a modern example, and stomp over all the people and spread rumors over everyone. Will that work? Yeah, probably it will. I could probably get a raise. I could probably get someone fired and take the position. Will it work? Sure. Is that how a Christian should live? No. Do you see? The idea isn't does it work or it doesn't work. The point is, if it's not worship to God, it's fake worship. And what Israel failed to realize is that although they're building altars because they're being prosperous, they think that Baal is the one giving provision and prosperity. They're giving themselves up to false worship and false idols. And so notice verse 2, their heart is false. Literal translation, their heart is divided. There is a heart for Yahweh and a heart for everything else. There is a heart for God and a heart for Baal and for the golden calves and, and for anything else that is in God. It's a divided heart. So, so you can understand what's going on here, and then we'll go back to Hosea 8. The more Israel became prosperous, the more wealthy, the more powerful, the more their heart was divided. The less they trusted in God, the less they wanted to look for God. Now, this isn't a message against prosperity. This is a message against anything that could divide us from heart. I'm not saying don't look for prosperity. That's not the message that, that's being given here. The point is we could be looking for other things and thinking, well, that's the Christian thing to do, not realizing that it's the one thing that's dividing our hearts. It's the one thing that's pulling us further and further away from God, and we don't see it because it works, because it's successful, because it is giving fruit, because it is being prosperous. This is why Israel fell into false worship, because the more false altars they built, the more wealthy they became. They thought the system worked, not realizing that their heart was being divided. Their love for God was decreasing as their prosperity was increasing. So this is a look ahead at what happens. And again, the result is their prosperity was momentary. And Assyria comes and not only plunders them, but plunders the thing that they thought was going to be the rescue. And it takes their idol with them. This is why, again, a mixing of worship, a syncretistic worship does not work. It gives the false idea that you could go on doing this and be successful, and you can't. So that's chapter 10. One of the reasons they did it, they became prosperous. Now in Hosea chapter 8, there's another reason why they make false worship. Look at verse 13. We'll get back to 12 in a minute, but verse 13 is the explanation of why Israel built more idols. So in chapter 10, we see they build more idols because it gives fruit prosperity. But in chapter 13, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, verse 13, there's another reason Israel likes making altars. There's another reason they, they like making these worship things that are not to God, but to Baal. And here's what verse 13 says, as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity, punish their sins, and they shall return to Egypt. The second reason Israel likes to make these idol worships or these synchronized worship systems is because they like to eat the meat. 
In other words, this example here, it's a me and God worship. It's God and his biblical truth, but I have to like it. And if I don't like it, we're not going to do it. Now, I want to be clear here. There was nothing wrong with eating the meat of a sacrifice animal. That's not the sin. The sin is that they built more altars because what they liked. In other words, the focus was not God. The focus wasn't Yahweh. The focus was, hey, well, every time we offer a sacrifice, guess what? We get to eat some good steak. We get to eat some good meat. So, so let's pretend like this sacrifice is really because we care about our sinful nature. Let's pretend that this sacrifice is really because we care about what God has to say. We're going to do this show of religion or holiness or whatever you want to call it. But the reality is the hard issue is what we really like is we get to eat the meat. What we really like is that after the sacrifice has been offered, I get to do what I like to do. This is the heart of Israel. It's a divided heart, as Hosea chapter 10 says. It's a heart that says, yeah, we want God, but I want a little bit of me. I have to like some of these things. Now look, I'm not saying that God can't be enjoyed. I'm not saying that there are certain things in the Christian faith that can't be enjoyed, that can't be joyful. But there's a lot of things in the Christian faith that our flesh wants to do that our, the scriptures and our God says you can't. It just doesn't work that way. And the danger is to try to make God fit my desires, my likes, my wants. And, and we could easily do that, if I'm honest. We could create a Christian lingo, church, or lifestyle, and use the Bible, but at the end of the day, it's not, heart, we're, it's not God we're looking to please, it's, it's ourselves. We're looking to please ourselves. It's a division of the heart. Israel does not make altars because they fear God. They make altars to Baal, again in chapter 10, because it's giving them fruit. And in Hosea chapter 8, verse 13, because it's what they like to do. They liked to gather and eat the meat that was left over. Again, the focus here is not God. The focus is, what am I getting out of this? What's in it for me, God? Now, you see how, let's bring this to our modern terms. Should I go to church today? Well, what's in it for me? And some of us, we play this game. Like literally, it's, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. We have not decided that, that we're going to make attending church a part of our normal Christian life. And, and so we play this heads or tells game. Will the coffee be good? Good coffee, maybe, maybe I'll go for that. Uh, Will, will the music be good? Well, will, will maybe I'll go for that. And, and we're in the morning and, and we're wrestling. Is it really worth it? Is it worth spending two hours a day to go? Because the heart of this first syncretistic worship is what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Is it worth going to church twice a week? Should I go to group? Should I go to classes? Is it worth reading my Bible on a Monday morning when Pastor Jonathan isn't around? Does that count? 
We do this every single day of our lives. We wrestle with this same issue, not realizing it could divide our hearts. Now, Jesus put it this way. You can't serve God and money. You can't have a divided heart. You can't say, yes, Lord, and then put something else. And again, he uses money, but I'm just going to say it could be anything else. You can add anything else to this list. Paul argued with the Judaizers who try to make a system of you have to be Jew and, and follow the feasts and follow the Sabbath and get circumcised all oh, and Jesus. So you want real salvation? Well, it's Jesus on the cross, but you better practice the Sabbath and you better follow the Jewish calendar and, and you better get circumcised and, and all these things. So it's the law and Moses and Jesus that saved us. It's a combination of worship. The reformers argued with this with the Catholics. That's why they screamed, solus Christus. Only Christ can save, not the Pope, not the Catholic catechism, not the traditions of the church and Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. Here's the point of this first syncretistic worship. You can't have God and then put something else next to him and give it the same authority. It may work for a while, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Now, we see this in verse 13. I'll read you the second part of it. Again, they offer these sacrifices and look at verse 13. The first indictment, the Lord does not accept them. God does not take them. He doesn't accept them. But God, we're, we're following the letter. Yeah, but the heart is Wrong. This is the point of Deuteronomy. It's a circumcision of the heart that Israel needs. We can stand here this morning and lift our hands and, and, and sing to God, but if our motives are wrong, God does not accept a false worship that puts me and God in the same category, that puts me and God in the same level of authority. No, it's either God or it's me, but it can't be both. This is the first sin of Israel. It's all God. This is my point here. It's either all God or you have a different God. Either it's God who's priority. You can have Christian lingo. You can have Bible passages. You can throw it all into the mix. But if it's not God as priority, you have a different God with Christian lingo or in this case with Exodus lingo with Lingo from the Old Testament. That's the point here. This is the sin, the first sin of syncretized worship. It's God and me, and we have the same authority. You can't do it. Now, look at verse 12. Here's what it says. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. Now, here, were I to write, it's not that God hasn't written the actual literal translation would be, I have written. What God is saying is, even if I were to write more laws, what's the point if the laws I have already written are being counted for as strange, as weird, as, as, as not working, as, as if Israel does not know what the law is? They do know. That, that's the point. So literal translation is, I have written, but you count it. As strange. To you, my laws are strange. Now, how had God done this? Jump ahead with me to 
Hosea chapter 11. We're going to read from verses 1 through 4. This is a recap of how God had written. The people knew these stories. The people knew what God had done. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offering to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. The idea here is, what we should picture is Israel as a child. And the passage is letting us know that God called Israel when they were small, when they were nothing. They weren't even a nation yet. And God called them. He loved them. He, out of Egypt, I called my son. The, the idea there is he redeemed them from Egypt. So, so it's taking us back. Hosea takes us back to Exodus and is giving us an account of how God rescued Israel from the captivity of the Egyptians, verse 3 of, of, of chapter 11, he taught Ephraim to walk. So again, picture as, as, as a child is taking its first steps. God has his, Israel's hands and he's guiding Israel and helping them walk. And then he'll let them go and they'll take a few steps and they'll fall. This is the, the idea here, the vision, the, the illustration that Hosea is painting in chapter 11. That, that he took them by the arms, that he healed them, that, that he was kind to them. This is the whole point. So, so when we read chapter 8, the point is, they do know. God had written. That God had let them know what was the law. How it should be done. How they should obey. So in verse 13, that's the reason why the first thing is he doesn't accept them. But the second one is they will uh, he will remember their iniquities and punish their sins. You can write this down. That's Exodus chapter 20, verses, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Where, yeah, verses 5 and 6, and I'll just read it to you. It says, you shall bow down to them or serve them, for I, you shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It's the exact sighting here in Hosea 8, verse 13. God would remember their iniquities if they served other gods and made other idols. He's pointing back to the law. The point is that Israel knew the law. God had written. He had put it. He had put the commandments with His own hands. He had written. He had given them the law. They knew the law, and that's why, because they know the law. Verse thirteen says the punishment for a disregard of God's commands will be God will bring the iniquity that He said He would. And then the final punishment in verse thirteen is they'll return to Egypt. Literally, some would return to Egypt, but here it's figuratively. The same God that rescued you out of Egypt 
it's now going to let you go back into captivity. You're going to go back to being a slave because of this syncretistic worship. This is the danger here. So they knew the law, and yet this is the other emphasis here in verse 12. They regarded it as strange, or the verb here, they counted as strange. The literal verb, counted. Grammatically, its function is, I'll give you the stem, it's in the nifal stem, but the point is, there was no cause. In other words, I'd understand if Israel is looking at the law and going, yeah, well, it doesn't work. Well, there's, it's, it's, it's faulty. What God has promised doesn't work. His word doesn't work. Well, then that would make sense. It doesn't work, so we're going to count it as strange. But even the grammar lets us know, well, there's no cause here to think that the law doesn't work. It does. It works the way God designed it to work, not the way we want to define it in today's modern term. But the idea is God's promises, his word worked. There was no reason to count it as strange. And strange not meaning that Israel didn't know the law. It's that they thought, why follow it? Why bother? This is the second issue here. The law for Israel was outdated. We live in a culture, God, where Baal is worshipped. This is what we do now. This is what's hip. This is what's trending. This is what's in right now. Jeroboam has established two golden calves. This is what everyone's doing. No one's going down to Judah anymore like the law had established. Everyone's going to these golden calves. What's the big deal? We're just, we're just in with the times. Well, there is a big deal because God hadn't written that. God had not said the worship or true worship is two golden calves. That's not what God had instructed. Yet you can see this tension even in, in our day where we want God, but I want a little bit of culture as well. This is the second sin. What do we do when the Bible does not fit the culture? Do we still call sin sin? Whoa, our, our culture says it's not sin. Can we? Should we? Can we do what a lot of modern pastors do, which is, well, we just don't talk about that in interviews. We don't talk about that in public because we don't want to offend anybody. Now, now here's what I want you to see. It sounds loving, doesn't it? It does. It sounds loving. We want to be loving. We want to win the culture. So we'll set up some Baal altars. We haven't completely gotten rid of God. We just tweaked his commandments. Why? Well, we want more people to gather. We want to be more evangelistic. I say this because I want you to see the deceit in it. It's easy to sound loving, but the commandment, the very first commandment God gives Israel is, you ought to love the Lord your God. Loving God means we love him the way he's established, not the way I think the culture will engage with him best. I'm going to say that again. Loving God means we love God the way he has established it. Not the way we think the culture can engage with God the best. It's a syncretized worship where we want culture 
but we also want God. Now, you, know, you see this in modern-day churches. A little beaver, a little Rihanna in the worship service, a little whatever, and then after that we'll sing some Christian songs. Well, why did we do that? Oh, well, because we want the world to come into church. But the question that we have to ask ourselves as Christians is, is that biblical? And the heart here is, it comes from a heart that says the Bible is outdated. It's putting cultural relevancy over biblical truth. We can easily do that as Christians, as believers, as followers of God. So the first sin is, it's me and God. The second sin is, it's culture and God. But what does the culture have to say about biblical issues? And we can easily fall into a syncretized worship. In Hosea's day, the culture was Baal is the trendy thing. Let's worship him. In our culture, well, there are many trendy things, but you get the point. We can easily grab culture and God and combine them. And again, this is what I want you to ask yourself. If I combine cultural truths and biblical truths, am I serving the same God? Or am I worshiping a different God? Well, the lingo is Christian. Well, the lingo is biblical, yes. But it doesn't mean it's the way God has ordained it. This is the second sin here. And again, it's a division of the heart in an attempt to idolize the culture or to be part of the culture. Israel has left God and they haven't realized it. It hasn't hit them yet that they have left God. It comes from a heart that says the Bible is outdated. outdated. Fourth sin, or, or the third sin is in verse 14. When scripture is viewed as strange, we'll look at verse 14. For Israel has forgotten his maker and they built palaces and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour the strongholds. Go with me quickly, jump ahead to Hosea chapter 12, verse 8. This is the third sin here on how Israel does this. Why do they do this? Well, look at verse 8. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. This is 12.8. Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. What is Israel doing here? What is the northern kingdom doing here? They're boasting. Syncretized worship begins with me and God are in the same level, and then it ends with there is no God, there's only me. There is no culture, there's only me. I'm God. I'm the Lord of my life. What's in it for me? Me, literally, I worship me. I'm God. Israel, again, verse 8. Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. What's the saying there? God didn't give me wealth. I did it. Me. I was able to do it. I don't need God. I just need 40 hours of work. I got the job. I did it. We talk like this all the time. I bust my butt 40 hours a week, and God wants me to come to church and give him some of it? 
Yeah, right, that's not happening. Good luck, God. I made myself rich. I found wealth for myself. And here's the real danger. I'm holy. I don't need God. There's no sin in me. There's no iniquity in me. I'm God to the point where I'm perfect. I'm the bomb. I'm God. This is the issue with syncretistic worship. Eventually, God gets out of the picture and I become God. I think I am God. Now, verse 9 lets us know what's the result of that. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. The message there is, Israel had been rescued from bondage and captivity, but now they're going to go back to living like they were in the desert, living from tent to tent, from place to place. God is saying, oh, you think you're God? Well, just wait, because soon enough you're going to realize you're not God. Soon enough you're going to realize you're not wealthy and powerful. Soon enough you're going to realize you cannot save yourself when you're back in captivity. This is the danger with a syncretistic worship. Now we see this. Look at the, the poetic structure in verse 14. Israel built palaces. Judah increased its fortified cities. Here's the result or the chiasm. Fire will be on cities. In other words, the cities that Israel built that they thought I did this, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to burn to the ground. They're going to be in ruins. The, the palaces that Israel built, the, citizen, the cities, the, the buildings that they said, I did this for myself in chapter 12. Well, they'll be in ruins. They're going to be burned. The fortified strongholds or cities that Judah built will be devoured. The literal Hebrew word is God's going to eat them up. He's going to swallow them up. What's the result of a syncretistic worship. It doesn't matter in what level it is. The, the result is always the same. If you put yourself in the same authority as God, well, guess what? That leads to destruction. If you put culture in the same authority as God, well, guess what? That leads to destruction. If you make yourself God, well, guess what? That leads to destruction. The lesson here in this last part is put Christ next to anything it does not work. There is no result. There is no solution. If we adopt a Christian model that says this, if we want to make a, a, a Christian model that puts Jesus and something else in the same level, the message in Hosea, the warning in Hosea is it does not work. You will deceive yourself. You will lead yourself into Destruction. I cannot serve myself and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not work. I can't convince myself that I could save myself and that I don't need Jesus to save myself. It does not work. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. We all have a sin problem. I need the gospel. You need the gospel. 
Christ cannot be added to cultural ideas or we can't put Christ next to other religious ideas. In other words, Christ cannot coexist with other religions. Either he is the truth, the life, and the way as he claimed himself to be or we're serving a different Jesus. That's the point in Hosea. Salvation is by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. This is salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me because as part of our worship, we, we gather for communion every first month. And right now, Pastor Jonathan is going to lead us through communion. But what I want you to remember as you take communion is we need to worship God as he himself has instructed that we should worship him. Any mixing of God with something else does not work. Christ alone through faith alone, by grace alone. That's what saves. So these guys are going to set up the table. I'm just going to pray with us. And uh, Pastor Jonathan will come up and lead us through communion. Father, as a part of our worship, we do not conclude this service. But rather, right now, we pray that as your word has been preached, that we would realize the importance of worshiping you and following you as you have ascribed it in your scriptures, the way you have declared it. And at the same time, we gather this morning with our hearts prepared to take communion, understanding and being reminded that not only does communion remind us that you atoned for our sins and died for our sins, but that that work and that act takes precedence over our life even today in 2019. And so we thank you because we can conclude this sermon, not just in prayer, but giving thanks as a body by taking communion together. In your name.